Thank you for listening to this teaching. Due to an audio issue, the first two minutes of this sermon has poor audio quality, but it will improve momentarily. Um, since I was a small child, there's been definitely one thing that is constant. There are many things, um, but one of those things that is very constant is uh, a love and appreciation for Christmas music. Now, I realize inside of this room currently, there are two different types of people. Uh, those of you who absolutely love Christmas music, and then there are those who begrudgingly cannot stand Christmas music. And if you're one of those, you don't have any friends, all right? Um, but Christmas music, I think, is a great gift. Now, as a follower of Jesus, I definitely agree, uh, appreciate uh, that one of my favorite songs is Oh Holy Night. I mean, I absolutely uh, love that song. Uh, but simultaneously, not of equal value, Bing Crosby singing White Christmas is a hard one to beat. Okay? I love Christmas music, that there is something about uh, Christmas music uh, that I think is, is, is nostalgic for me. You're a great brother. I don't care what my sister says, it's got some sessions. Are we good now, Kevin? Nothing yet. But uh, in that, I mean, I just. Uh, I just absolutely love Christmas music. I really do. You know, cards on the table, I think you, I tell you this like every year, but our Christmas tree has been up for like a month. Um, and uh, we've been listening to Christmas music. We, we don't have a fireplace in our house, so we got on YouTube and we put a fake fireplace um, that is safe for children um, on our TV. And uh, Laura got me a record player one year for Christmas. And so I've got Bing Crosby and Charlie Brown Christmas and Elvis Christmas, and all these different Elvis records, and we listen to our record player while watching a fake fire. And it's been so enticing uh, that even Cash, um, I think Cash spent about um, 14 hours in our living room, sitting in my recliner, watching the fake fire, and listening to Christmas music, which if you know anything about our little boy, like that's completely odd and rare and strange. And beautiful, um, all as he watches the twinkling of our Christmas tree and uh, the, uh, the fake fire and listening to Bing Crosby and the such, okay? And so, I just love it. Um, I, I love Christmas. I love everything about it. I love the food. I love the excitement of it. I love to, to give gifts, and I do like to receive them as well. Um, but there is just something about this season that I actually absolutely love from about Thanksgiving to the first of the year. Um, as my daughter said, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's my favorite season out of the year. And so this Sunday, we're going to start our Advent sermon series titled The Christmas Psalms, um, or better known as The Christmas Songs. And we're going to be looking particularly at uh, the Psalms inside of the book of Psalms, or Psalm. And in this series, we're going to be teaching through the, a select number of Psalms found there 
Um, but these songs are filled with thanksgiving. They're filled with enthronement. Uh, they're filled with um, lament. They're filled with praise. They're filled with, with wisdom. And all of those truths found inside the Old Testament pre the incarnation still can be connected to the New Testament and ultimate to our lives as a reflection of all of those truths and those emotions that we see in the book of Psalm, but, but also that those, those emotions and those feelings can be experienced in the first Christmas context, but also in ours. That this season is not just one of, of constant excitement, but like many of us, there are the ebbs and flows of the Advent season. That there are times of rejoicing, and yet simultaneously times of great lament. That there are times of blessing, and yet there are times of, of grief. That you can simultaneously celebrate the, the birth of Jesus or, or the exciting looks upon your children's faces. But, but then in that same tension, remember lost loved ones and empty seats at the table. But those two things are constantly in tension with each other. Both what you have gained in the last year but simultaneously what you and I have lost. And how, somehow that's just a muddy mess entwined, in, in not entwined, we are in Kentucky, but entwined in each other um, that formulate this thing called the Christmas season. So our prayer is in the, the midst of this holiday chaos that we are in, is that our Sunday morning gatherings would, would be a time to really center yourself back on the person and work and the true meaning of Christmas, and that is Jesus. The book of Psalms, we often forget, as I've mentioned, that these many of them were songs or poems uh, written by several different authors. Uh, several of them are attributed to uh, David um, others are anonymous, and then some others are like the sons of Korah, which is an interesting story if you've ever studied Korah and his sons and all, all these sorts of things. But we see inside of these that, that many have called the, the book Psalm, that many have called it um, the hymnal of the Jewish people. We forget how important music and song and singing is to God and is to Jesus. Even in the Hebrew vernacular, when it speaks of God creating the heavens and the earth, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, carries with it and can be translated that he sang it into existence. We often forget the, the many songs that we see inside of the Old Testament and outside of even the book of Psalms, but even inside the New Testament, um, that we, we get this encouragement, this imperative that we need to sing spiritual songs to each other, that we need to gather and, and sing. The Bible tells us to shout. It tells us to, to worship and to praise and to give thanks to an almighty God. Let us not forget that as Jesus is hanging upon the cross, out of all of the things that he could have quoted, he quotes a song. Psalm chapter 22. 
It's believed that Jesus probably quoted the entire song. It would, have, it would have generated probably in those who have gathered a melody and a rhythm to it. As Jesus, I don't know if he sang the lyrics, but he definitely said the lyrics of a song from the cross. To say that one is um, not into music is to, to downgrade, or not into song, is to downgrade a very gift of God. Something that means something to God. All of us have those memory worms of music, don't we? Where you can think of certain songs and it can put you into certain good and bad places by remembering those songs. As becoming a new believer, one of the things I did, this don't think that this is super spiritual, but I got rid of a bunch of rap CDs um, that I had because I was an avid fan. Um, and But... Every time I listened to those songs, it connected to me to moments that I didn't need to be remembering. So I had to remove them. But we all have these sorts of tunes or, or, or songs within our lives that create within us a memory of rejoicing, a, a, a memory we put to history, we put them to song, and we see this inside the Old and the New Testament as from the beginning even to the end in the book of Revelation that, that the, all of the saints are gathered around the throne room of God and they are singing out to God. They're singing to Jesus. Singing isn't an option for the believer. It has a purpose. It is something we are to engage in. It is something that we are to celebrate in Christmas more than any other time, even when you go into secular places where everybody's buying all sorts of things, even the atheists, even non-Christians are singing songs about whom? Jesus. They're singing about Jesus. And so it's interesting just to consider for a moment how Jesus would have interacted with these songs. I wonder if Jesus could have sang on key. He probably did, probably perfectly. Probably had perfect pitch. Right? But I always wonder what kind of tone. Is it like Chris Stapleton? You know? Lionel Richie? It's like, what did Jesus sound like? But that's where my childhood imagination leads me to and also looking forward to one day we will hear him sing. Imagine that for a moment. You're going to hear Jesus' laugh if you're in Christ. You're going to see his smile. You're going to see his loving affection for you. You're going to hear and know his voice, the Bible tells us. You'll hear him sing. You will watch him eat. You watch him know you by name. Say your very name audibly. Isn't that a Christmas gift in and of itself to think of Jesus like that? Christmas songs. Inside of this particular psalm, today we're going to focus on a psalm of thanksgiving. And so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Psalms. Psalm in Psalm 100, 
Um, as Ava read to us, you see there that the, the Canaan has given us kind of titles before each of these Psalms. And, and this is the only one I think that I could find inside of the book of Psalm um, that actually says a Psalm for giving thanks. Now, there are other Psalms that mention thankfulness and giving thanks, but this one is particularly titled that very thing, a psalm, a song, a poem for giving thanks. We see inside of this at the very beginning of it where it says, make a joyful noise to the Lord. All the earth serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Again, we see the value of, of coming into the presence of God. I think that this, was, this psalm was mostly used in the gathering of the saints. And so we see this picture as we have gathered here on this resurrection day, this Sunday morning, as, as we have gathered to celebrate the person and work of Jesus, that we are to come with a gleeful celebration, that there is a joy resting in our heart, that, that singing in of itself cannot be done in silence but must be done with one's voice, that, that you and I are called to participate in the gathering of saints and that the best instrument that should be used in any local gathering should be the voices of the people of God singing to their Jesus. And we're told here in this passage, make a joyful noise to the Lord. But, it, but it's not just just for a few, is it? It's for the world. Jesus is calling all of his creation because, again, we can't look at the Old Testament without looking at it through the lens of Jesus. He is the best commentator on the Old Testament. So we're told through him and through the power of the Holy Spirit to make a joyful noise to the Lord all of the earth. We get these pictures of Christmas over and over and over again as the world celebrates Jesus. We see this, that we make a joyful noise, that we serve and we join him, but the book of Psalm gives us a, a particular reason of why. Why should we worship this Jesus? Why should we worship God? Well, one, he tells us, because he is God. Know that the Lord, he is God. So what is the, the value of our worship, the value of our praise, the value of our thanks is this God, that he is God, that he is exclusive, as we talked about a few weeks ago. And because of that, we, we gather in praise. We, we join with all of creations. We, we come into his presence lifting our voice in perfect harmony to him. The second reason of why we give thanks is, is, is because he has made us. Look at what the passage. Know that he is the Lord. He is God. It is he who made us. That God has made you. That he has knitted you together in your mother's womb. That he has known you before the foundations of the earth. That God himself has known you. And for those of us who are in crisis, set his love upon us. There's great security in this passage, in, the, in a season of chaos, that, that he is God, that he has made us. But that third thing right there, where, where it says that we are his. Isn't that reason to celebrate this morning? 
Isn't that reason to have joy just filled in our hearts as we rejoice, as the Christmas songs often say, we, we rejoice in knowing what? That we're not God, but He is. We can rejoice and give thanks this morning because, because, because He has made us, but also that we are His. We are His people. We are the sheep of His pasture. We have reason to be excited this morning. We have reason to make a joyful noise. We have reason to, and that term and where it's placed at, the idea of service there is serving him in worship. We have reason to do this. We have reason as he has invited us as his kids to worship him, to come and to bow down before an almighty God. See, I'm I'm not into this whole idea, and I really wrestle with this, um, of non-expressive worship through song. The idea of being non-expressive in your worship, in my worship toward God, I think is is the antithesis, is the the antithesis of, of what we see in Scripture, because there's a constant posture in these people. And so you'll hear things like of, of my friends that, that they'll say things like, well, I just, I don't get excited about those sorts of things. Or I, 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 it's not that I'm going to get excited, but man, if you see my, my hand go up in the air or, or hear me clap, be ready. Jesus is coming back. And yet that's not what we see in the posture of those who are filled with joy. Because my, my same friends who won't participate in our gathering of, of singing and of worship to God are, are the same people that will lose their mind as Auburn beats Alabama yesterday. Or as Kentucky beats Louisville yesterday. See, here's the thing is that we are excited about what we value. You will get excited about what you value. I will get excited about what I value. So it's not that we're not emotional. It's not we're not emotional toward God often. And we get more emotional about a Black Friday sale. We get more ex- emotional about a new movie coming out. We get more emotional or, or jazzed up or excited about something that's happening, a ball game, athletics. We know this to be true because if you've ever been to Little League games before, how excited parents can get over T-ball. I mean, people just losing their minds over these things. And and again, I'm not saying that that we shouldn't be excited about those things, but, but to be excited about those things and yet to come to the gathering of the saints and not be filled with joy, and not be celebrating the person and working of God, who He is God, He has made us, and we are His. That's the only thing eternal and lasting in your life. Not those other things. And yet this is what He's called us to. We get emotional about what we value. We give thanks to whom or what we value. And Psalm 100 reminds us to do all of those things primarily and as a priority to God above everything else. 
The next thing that we see in this passage is that we give thanks because he is good. We give thanks because he is good. Verse 4, look at this. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever ever, and his faithfulness to all generation. Enter his gates. Notice that there is a picture here of, of God welcoming us to his front porch. But he doesn't leave us on the porch. He welcomes us on into the house. Right? If you're a stranger and you're trying to sell me something that said me something, Ivy Farms somewhere here in Bowling Green, Warren County, if you're trying to sell me something, then you stay on the porch. If you're a family, if you're a friend, you're, you're welcomed in to the house. Notice the relationship here that, that, that Jesus has with us. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. So we enter there with thanksgiving and then into the inner courts. We, we do that with praise, giving thanks to him. Bless his name. Why? Because the Lord is good. Notice that. The Lord is good. This week I was reading an article, I think on the Gospel Coalition, and, and this author, it was about Thanksgiving. I think it was a, a, a sister, and, and in it, I love this quote where she says, uh, God gives, not because we are good, but because he is. Do you notice that? That God is given to you, and we should be thankful toward him, not because we're deserving of anything that he has to give us. And yet, because it's his very character, it's because it's his very, his very nature that God gives, not because we are good, but because he is good. Why else do we give thanks? Because he is good, but, but also because the passage tells us that his, his love endures forever. Like the song that we just sang from Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, right? For his love endures forever. And every, at the very beginning of all of that psalm in 136, it, it'll say something like give thanks to God of gods. His love endures forever. It says give thanks to the Lord of lords. Why? His love endures forever, right? It's one of, if you grew up in church, it's one of the first passages that you probably learned as a small kid about how God's love endures forever. We have much to be thankful for this Christmas season. If we have nothing else, it's resting in the fact that He is God and that He is good. And yet those are the two biggest issues that the enemy will try to throw up into your face and convince you not to believe, one, that He is God, and that if He is God, He certainly is not good. He makes war against those things. We see this idea of, of thankfulness inside of this psalm. Thankfulness to God. Thankful that we are His. Thankful that, that He has come and thankful that he, is, he has welcomed us into His presence. 
Those who were once far off from God are are brought near. Those who were once ostracized from God are are now invited into his courts. Those those who were once separated for those of us in Christ are in the throne room of God. And he he invites us, he commissions us, he, he involves us to come, to be filled with joy, to be filled with celebration because he is God. And because he is good. Inside the Christmas story, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. And inside the Christmas story, we see further examples of this idea of thankfulness. Inside the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, down at the the 26th verse, let's begin reading some there. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the same and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And to his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child will be born, will be called holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And I love this statement by a humbled Mary. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. And then we see Mary goes and visits Elizabeth. And we see that amazing story where where as, as Mary tells her aunt, Elizabeth that she's pregnant and we're looking at a teenage girl she's a she's a virgin and yet there was belief and faith by her aunt even the Bible tells us that John inside of Elizabeth's womb becomes so filled with the Holy Spirit that he he's he's leaping inside of her and she's so overwhelmed that what does Mary do she begins to sing This teenage girl who's engaged to a man who she has never been to bed with. This teenage girl, 14, 15, 16 years of age. And she's being told by an angel of the Lord that God has found favor upon her and that she will give birth to Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah. And yet, what is her response? Her response is, 
is to sing. Her response is to sing to God. She goes on further there to say, My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to all of his offspring forever. You ever freaked out because Jesus or the working of the Holy Spirit has, has maybe just impressed upon you, like you need to go share the gospel with so-and-so? Anybody been in that situation? And, and the fear that comes over you before you do that? Anybody, been, anybody ever shared the gospel with anybody before? I know that may be a new thing to you. It's called Christianity. We share it, all right? But you know what I'm talking about. That, that nervousness is like, like, am I going to do it? You know what I'm talking about? It's like, oh, am I going to be obedient here? Like God's just actually like laid it out before you. So he's made it as easy. I mean, they pretty much said, so who is this Jesus? Like, I mean, he's just, it's, it's no trickery. There wasn't any bridges that you had to use. Like, you didn't have an Avanja cube or a soccer ball or WWJD bracelet on. You didn't have a track, but it was just like laid out before you. And you feel that tension of going, uh, am I going to do this? Everybody follow me? How much fear is overwhelming us? And yet, the greater task that was laid upon Mary and her response, though troubled, is to celebrate and to give thanks and to honor God. And to, the, to whatever he had called her to. See, this, it's, it's tough. I think we, we, we lose the... In the Christmas story, and through the book of, of Psalm, and, and, and through the Christmas story, it, it, it reminds us to give thanks even in the unknown. Do you get that? Like, we, we've got the book, you guys. We know how it ends. We've seen the movie. But for the, these people were real. I don't know about you, but if, if you're engaged to someone, they come, they come, you go out on a date with them on Friday, and, you know, you take... Your, your, your lady friend there to, she's going to eat chicken fingers probably wherever you go, right? So you, you go and she's eating her salad and chicken fingers. And she goes, hey, so I've been making plans for the wedding. And by the way, I'm pregnant. 
you, you understand that hopefully Mary's parents had had the conversation about the birds and the bees, but she had, she had never been known. She didn't even know the mechanics of how all of that was. And now she's with child. You're, you're talking about social suicide here in this culture. That's why Joseph was completely free to divorce her. Because she's now wearing a scarlet letter upon her chest. She's the adulterous woman. The adulterous teenager in the village. And how do you explain that? And I know that people in recent times have had tried to say things like that they've had immaculate conceptions. And they're all lies. But imagine, I mean, my 14-year-old daughter, I mean, she can be apprehensive about getting a shot as, as Matt tries to give her one or, or something new or the first day of school. And placed upon this young lady is, is God growing inside of her very womb. And her response is to give thanks and celebrate. Whatever you have for me. You're God. See, Mary was able to give thanks like she had learned as a a small Jewish little girl, she had been taught the Psalms. And she was, she was able to give thanks because why? She, she trusted. But what did she trust? She trusted that he was God. She, she trusted that he had made her. He, she, she trusted that, that she was his and that he was good and that he loved her and that he was faithful, and I know this is cliche, but man, but it works so well here. And that's this, and that Mary in this moment did not know exactly what the future held, but she definitely trusted and believed in who held her future. Thankfulness. Thankfulness is such a it's an easy cultural thing to say thank you. And yet the heart's gratitude, the affection behind it be lost. Because in the South, how you doing? I'm doing fine. But you don't mean that. You're lying. Right? You're just lying to everybody. Because you're not fine. Because even if you're good, you're not fine. You're good. But we do that as a cultural thing. And we, we do that because, again, still left in some of the South, there's some manners we're taught. Say, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right. And, we, and we should do those things, but our, our desire should not to be just to, to say those words with our lips, as Jesus would say, you honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me, the, the call of the gospel is, is to give thanks, not merely with our lip service, but with our affections as we're, we're crying out, God, I want to thank you. Like I, What's ahead of me is, is unknown. It is heavy. It's, 
It is unknown when I, when I think and become anxious about tomorrow. And I know your word says that don't do that because it's got its own problems. But let's all face it. We can't help but do it. And yet in the midst of it, learning to, to be thankful to God because he is God. He is good. He is faithful to us even in the midst of great chaos and lack of understanding on our part. Brothers and sisters, though you and I do not know, it is all known by God. May we find security in that. Because see, there is a danger in not being thankful. This week I came across a passage I've read I don't know how many times. I've even preached through this and missed it. In the book of Romans chapter 1, turn with me, let's do it. All we got is time, right? In the book of Romans, chapter 1, very famous passage of scripture here, but I want us to miss, I want us to see here and contemplate the danger of thanklessness. In Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, they are without excuse. And then verse 21, listen to this. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for things resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give what? Thanks to him. They did not give thanks to God. They did not give gratitude to God. See, at, at the core of our brokenness in sin is, is not sexual misconduct. It's not lying. It's not stealing. It's not cheating. It's not poor money management and so much more. Our, our brokenness at its root is a lack of gratitude, a lack of, of being thankful to God. See, our, our refusal to be pure, to tell the truth, to steward is, is the fruit of a heart that refuses to honor God as the source of all goodness. It reveals a lack of thankfulness. See, brothers and sisters, having does not always equate our being thankful. Isn't that what we often will say to each other? Well, if I only had blank, then I would be really thankful for it. And yet that's not the truth. See, on the contrary, overconsumption often 
leads to the opposite. Our lack of worth placed on Jesus leads us to fill our lives with with counterfeits. It it leads us to worship, consume, and give thanks to created things instead of God. That's the very picture that we see here in the book of Romans, right? They knew God, but they didn't honor him and give thanks to him as God. And so they exchanged the, the, the worship of God for the created things of God. And they begin to give thanks to those things. See, in Genesis, God had given our first parents everything. He had given them an abundance of food that had not yet been tainted by sin. Have you thought about that? And he had given them food that had not yet been tainted by sin. Now, I don't know about you, but this last week I was a glorified, respectable participate, uh, you know, participant in gluttony a few times. And that food was good. Gravy was excellent, right? You take all the Thanksgiving meal, you put it on one plate, and you pour gravy all over it. Even the dessert. Gravy makes it better. I mean, it was amazing food, and yet all of it had been tainted by sin. And yet in the garden, there is a feast. Picture of eating and celebrating over food is over and over and over and over again inside the Bible. There is plenty of of food and consumption inside the garden, and it is perfect. It is holy. It is pure, except for that one meal that you can't have. See, they had been given everything, and yet they wanted more. They were ungrateful for what the Father had provided. They were thankless. They complained instead of thanked. Instead of trusting God, they they leaned on their own understanding. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. See, the Bible would say that there is a great danger in being thankless toward God. If you see inside the book of Romans, if you have it open there, it says God's wrath on the unrighteous. What makes them unrighteous? A lack of honor and a lack of thankfulness. And from those things, they exchange natural relationships with unnatural ones. Both with each other and also with God. But at its core, It's a lack of honor, a lack of being thankful. Have you ever noticed that in our culture, complaining and cynicism has become the norm? It's like what we're enslaved to. It's one of the reasons why I'm no longer on, I'm on Twitter, because it doesn't have the same effect on me. I guess because it shuts people up really quickly. They've only got so much they can say. It's one of the reasons why I'm not on Facebook anymore. Is because it is, it's often just kicking a can of argumentation down a road. It gives people a platform to, to kind of kick out thoughts there in articles that, that have nothing to do with you. But man, we love to post an article, roll that ball out there, and give it no context to allow people to bicker back and forth. Have a complaint about your husband, about your wife, about your kids, have a complaint about the government, local, national, state, man, just put it on your Facebook page. 
because that's encouraging. That builds me up in Jesus. But it's become just a, a cesspool of, of complaining. And, and we love to say it like, I've never done this before. I hate your guts, right? Or I've never complained on Facebook about a restaurant or a, or, or a local business, but, but here you go. We came out of watching uh, the new um, Mr. Rogers movie yesterday, which I'd encourage you to watch it. It's absolutely phenomenal. My whole family is in tears. We're all just ugly crying. And we walk out, and there's a gentleman yelling at the people serving popcorn to open up more lines because they were going to make him be late for the movie. And I just thought to myself, what a world that we live in where these young teenagers are behind a counter doing what they're told to be done, but because the advent of popcorn wasn't coming quick enough, he's making an absolute fool of himself. See, we wrestle between these two constants, a lack of consistency, excuse me, a a lack of contentment and complaining versus Trust and thankfulness to God. Gratitude does does not come natural to us, does it? I'm talking about true gratitude and and thankfulness. It doesn't come natural to us, but it's it's a supernatural thing that that can happen to those of us who are in Christ. See, when when those of us are in Christ, things that that used to matter to us, they don't mean to matter to us anymore. It's it's like we've laid down our right to be right. Do you get that? I don't have to be right. I mean, we've got got friends, we've got people that just, man, they just have to be right. They're always looking for a fight. And yet in Christ, when I, when I looked at these passages about what the Lord has done in and for me, in and through the person and work of Jesus, I can lay down my right to be right because there's only one who is right and his name is Jesus. So at the end of the day, it, it doesn't matter about the football games yesterday. At the end of the day, it's not going to matter about the gifts that you and I are going to receive in a few weeks because as I tell my dad every year, one day I'm going to sell all his junk in a yard sale. And then when I don't sell, I'm giving to Hope House and let them sell his junk. Okay? But what we hold of great value, we get excited about. I was so excited about growing up and getting baseball cards only in my late 30s to sell them all. 20-something years of collecting for $40 at a yard sale. But man, I was excited about it. I was joy-filled about it. I loved to talk about it. I went to trade shows about it. I tried to weasel my friends to get better cards because I was so excited about it. And yet now they're absolutely worth nothing in comparison to knowing Jesus. See, when we're in Christ, we don't need near as much. Being critical. Have you ever been around somebody who's just all the time to just eat up with being critical? They're miserable people. And we can all fall into that trap. There's this great scene, many great scenes, inside the 
the great theological work, Christmas Vacation. And inside of the great theological work of Christmas Vacation, Clark, you remember he goes out to the woods with his family, treks him through like four feet of snow, and cuts down this ginormous Christmas tree. Takes it back to his house, it's all wrapped up, right? And he's standing there with his family, and he's all excited, and, and, he, and he cuts the, the rope. Everybody follow me that's seen this movie? And the tree just falls out. It like covers their entire living room. It busts out windows, and it completely engulfs Clark. And this is what Clark says. He goes, looks great. A lot of fool. A lot of sap. A lot of sap. Right? And in the movie, it clicks from that scene to Clark and his wife laying in bed. And you got to pick up on it, but Clark is reading a magazine. And every time he turns the page, the magazine paper sticks to his hand, right? And then he tries to, like, turn the page, and it's stuck to his hand, and he's flicking it because of all of the sap, right? And then she tries to help him, and she pulls it off, and, and now her hands are sticky, right? Because your, your, your critical spirit and mindset will not just stay with you, but it's toxic and, and will be transmitted to those around you. And so they had this conversation, and, and all of a sudden he reaches over to give her a hug, and he grabs her by the hair. When he comes to turn back over, he's got a handful of her hair, and he goes to shut off the lamp this way, and he pulls the lamp onto their bed. Why? Because they're, they're covered in sap, and, and a critical spirit, a thankless spirit, is much like that sap. It's an invisible thing. Until you've been touched by it. And then it's a hard thing to get off of you. Because not only are you subject to it, but so is everyone else around you. See, a lack of thankfulness in our lives is sticky. It's hard to remove. It gets transferred to others. Instead of being a people of thankfulness, we become a difficult to be around because of our lack of contentment, our, our lack of trust in God, our, our lack of gratitude has consumed us. See, older folks, entitlement was not something invented by millennials. Do you know that? It was something taught to millennials by their Gen X parents who was taught it by Boomers. Entitlement is a part of the fall. See, entitlement is, is this struggle with disappointment because our expectations in life have not been met. Leaving us depressed, it leaves us stressed, anxiety-ridden, it leads us critical, placing ourselves at the center instead of God. All you can see is bad. And when this is, occurs, it's impossible to climb out of this pit without help. I say this to you, I say this to me. Has it ever gotten so bad that all you can see is bad? See, we've got to watch this with our kids, and we've got to watch this with each other. We've got to watch this with people that we work with, because our tendency, because of the brokenness of our hearts and our affections, is, is to be those who seek out all of the bad things and miss the good. Yet in Christ, as the Bible would tell us in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, that we're to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you.
Can I just... More than any other time in my life, that has become so difficult for me. 41 years living on this planet. In 2019, like I, I just look at this passage, and I won't say to you, I know that the Lord knows my heart and my thoughts about this passage, because I'm going to be really frank with you, I cannot stand it. Give thanks in all circumstances. And yet for me and my wife and our family, this has been one of the hardest years of our lives. And, and please hear me, this is 100% true. This passage isn't broken. The person reading it is. Give thanks in all circumstances. Well, that's baloney. Is what my brokenness wants to say about it. Yeah, I was up most of the night last night. Um, we were, and Laura was as well. We were having lots of issues with cash. And my family actually rode with me to, to church this morning. And I'm, I know that this is coming. And I'm, on my way here, I'm looking in the rearview mirror as I'm watching my, my, my son had very visible, full body, at least four or five, Seizures on the way here. Give thanks in all circumstances. No. No. See, while I've been up here preaching and you've been asleep or maybe paying attention or being critical of me, um, I've been watching my little boy have seizures on the back row. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I'm not there. Not there. Do I believe it to be true? Do I agree with it intellectually? Yes. Do I believe it to be true? I'm having a heart with that. But I know that's what God is calling me to. Thankfulness for the death of a spouse. Thankfulness for an incurable disease in your life. Thankfulness for like a disobedient, wayward child. Thankfulness for life. Thankfulness for death. Thankfulness for the, the darkness. Thankfulness for, for the hard things of life. That God is, that he's calling us to that. And I'm not there. But I know who one who is, and his name is Jesus, and he's there perfectly for me. And that's not an excuse not to pursue this, this idea but I, I, we all need to be gospel, maybe I need to be gospel this morning, is to come to that realization, give thanks in all circumstances Jesus has for me. And he's inviting me to live into that perfect thankfulness. Do we get that? 
because now I'm not, I'm not there. This is what we see over and over and over again in Scripture, from the Christmas story to the cross. As Christians, we learn to be thankful in the midst of great tragedy. Jesus in the upper room, he's hours away from being beaten. And what does Jesus do? The Bible tells us he gives thanks to the Lord and then breaks bread. Notice that. Have you ever paid attention to that before? He's hours away. I mean, I, I have an anxiety attack if I know I'm going to the dentist because I hate that place. I went, to a dental, I went to a dentist in Phoenix one time and the sign was gentle, dental. And I left that place and I said some things to my wife about that place. And I was like, gentle, dental, my hind end, right? Because I was a bloody mess coming out of that place. And yet Jesus is hours away, and he's going to feel it, okay? We, we know that. We get, keep, but he knows it's coming, and yet he's still giving thanks to the Lord. It was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. The cross of Christ has taught us this. Thankfulness is the fruit of our union with Christ. If you want to see this, the, the cross frees us up to give thanks in all circumstances. As believers, we learn to see the good even in the bad, or better yet, God ever present in our problems. It doesn't mean that we're to ignore these issues and these tragedies, and yet to find thankfulness in the, in the midst of all of us that Jesus has us. He is God. He is good. He has made us. We are His entwined in all of that ugliness. That's what He's calling us to. As believers, we learn to see this. We, we don't ignore it, but we recognize who God is in the midst of our darkest of nights. I love what Pastor Alistair Begg says this. He says, thankfulness is the song of the Christian. Thankfulness is the song of the Christian. We are to be separate from the world. We are to be different. We are to be distinguished in, in, in the way in which we live. And how do we do that? Thankfulness. We must learn to be grateful when the pantry of our souls is full and when it is empty. Gratitude is, is, not, is not found in being thankful for manna when you're starving. Gratitude is found, excuse me, gratitude is found in, in being thankful for manna when you're starving. Trusting God is taking you to a land filled with milk and with honey. Thankfulness is the fruit of repentance. Thankfulness is the fruit of our union with Christ. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. For It is for your sake so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15. Honoring God, his plan, his character will lead one to thanksgiving. We give thanks because of who he is and inspire uh, 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 by those or, or, or through those. We, we understand who we are, whom God has made us to be in Christ. Get this, we go from his enemies to his children. We go from those storming the castle walls to be welcomed into the throne room and handed a scepter 
and says, I got a throne for you to sit on. We have much to be thankful for. Much to be thankful for. Jesus at the table gives undeserving, ungrateful men a seat at the table with God and says, do this in remembrance of me. Our God, who owes us absolutely nothing, has given us everything in Jesus. So we can want not. This Christmas, brothers and sisters, let us be a people who are committed to gratitude in a culture of consumerism. The Heidelberg Catechism says this. There's a threefold outline for Christian theology. Guilt, grace, and ingratitude. I'd like to add to that because I think it starts with God, then our guilt, then gratitude, and then glory. That's the picture of the gospel, that that's the picture of thankfulness. When we recognize who we are or who God is compared to who we are. And we only understand that we can be in relationship with that God because he is nothing like us. No, he is not like us. And the only way that we can be reconciled to him is through the grace of Jesus. And because of that ultimate grace of Jesus, we, we recognize and give thanks. We, we live a life and an attitude of gratitude toward the person and work of Jesus. And why? Because it's all for his glory. Every bit of it. In closing, my mentor, discipler from college, Richard Carwile, who I've shared lots of stories with, and Richard has visited us. I think it was, it was interesting yesterday. He, he posted um, on Twitter yesterday, and it fit into my sermon, so I'm going to tell him later today that I quoted him. Richard said this on Twitter. He said, I sat in two waiting rooms today. One, an auto repair shop. And two, a radiation treatment center where his dad is getting radiation for cancer. His dad is not doing well. He said the auto place was filled with frustrated, grumpy, cussing customers. And the radiation center was filled with thankful, gracious patience. Perspective changes everything. Who are you? Who am I? If the Advent teaches us anything, it's about the importance of being thankful as we wait. As they waited, as Mary and the legacy of believers before her, and as we wait on the returning of Jesus, may we be found a people filled with gratitude, thankfulness, because He is God. He has made us. We are His. He is good. His love endures forever and he is faithful let's pray